Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you heard those words before? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. These are the words that my mother armed me with and sent me back out into the world. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This parental proverb was meant to provide me with some level of comfort and protection and consolation, a shield from the constant verbal assaults of bullies and intimidating insults of infant schooling. My, some homespun wisdom to make me impenetrable to the provoked attacks of the schoolyard playground. And I'd retreat home from school in tears because I'd been picked on again because some kid had had a go at me because I was shorter than the others or because I repeated the second grade or because I had broad shoulders or because of some schoolyard rumour or because, well, they didn't really need a reason. Distraught and vowing never to return to school again, my mother would consult me with these words. Console me with these words. When they were being mean to you at school, she said, you just say this to the bullies. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And so in the face of the school's biggest bully, Dean Bozo Bosnan, I applied my mother's sage advice, only to return home that afternoon in more tears and now with a black dye and a ripped T-shirt. Eventually the bruises healed and the T-shirt pocket was patched up, but the words not only hurt, they stayed with me and they did some damage. It's just not true, is it? Bones healed, but words can break our hearts. And even now I remember it, I can, I, the constant name calling and the insults, just trying to survive, to learn to fight fire with fire, I'd attack with my own comebacks and put downs. I actually became pretty good at some retorts, maybe even a little bit too good at it. I've managed to talk my way out of and into a few fights over the years and when provoked, I can be quite sarcastic and cutting. Just ask my wife, Corinne. Words are powerful. Words can hurt. Words can cut us deeply. Words can wound. Words can damage. And words can destroy. Words, they have the ability to give us life and the ability to take it away from us, the ability to make, up, make promises, and the ability to destroy marriages and partnerships. Words can build up and encourage others. Words can be used to humiliate and dehumanise. And words have the ability to reveal. They have the ability to betray. What do your words do? What are your words saying about you? What impact are your words having on others? James is interested in our words and he uses his words to write to God's people, a people now scattered in exile, living as disciples of Jesus amongst the nations. And James's words, they reveal his heart and James's words reveal our own hearts too. James uses his words to encourage our perseverance in the faith. Remember, God works in us through our many trials. 
James has already spoken about listening and talked about not showing favouritism. But James says words aren't enough. Words need to be put into action. Our words, they need to be put into practice. We need to live out our words by our works. James's words build us up and they encourage us. But what are your words doing? What impact are your words having on other people? Words are important. Words matter. So consider your words, James says, chapter 3, verse 1. Let's see it together. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's not like ministry isn't hard enough already. I was at a ministry leaders conference this week in New South Wales. The conference was called Oxygen. But from some of the stories that I heard about other churches elsewhere, maybe it should have been renamed Ventilator. (laughs) Ministry is tough everywhere at the moment. Churches and denominations across the country are struggling. So it's not just our church that's special friends. I'm not sure if that's reassuring for any of you. It is for me. Statistically, 34.9% of Aussie church pastors have considered resigning their positions in the last 12 months. Student enrolments at all theological colleges are significantly lower than in previous years. But if you thought teaching God's people sounded easy, I mean, after all, he only works on Sundays, and even then it's only for a couple of hours... James says, now teaching comes with an even stricter judgment. See those words? I can see them. Ministry isn't for everyone. To watch what I say and how I say it and who I'm saying it to, let me tell you, it's a constant battle for me. Because words matter. Words are important. Especially when the words that you say... Reveal to others the word made flesh. A more stricter judgment, says James. Jesus says it this way in Luke 17, verses 1 to 3. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Sounds like a stricter judgment already, doesn't it? But it's not just leaders, not just teachers who use words, not just teachers who say the wrong things every now and then, because all of us use words. Look there, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone stumbles... Sorry, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, see what I did there? He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. James isn't talking about mispronunciations here or placing the wrong emphasis on the right syllable. This isn't about fumbling over your words or sentence structures that sound like Yoda or the ESV. James is talking about stumbling, how our words can cause others to stumble. Woe to those who cause my little ones to stumble by the things they say and do, said Jesus. 
So who is this perfect man that James speaks about? What man never stumbles with his words? Now I know that all of you want to say, Jesus, and that's probably the right answer. But James's point isn't as hypothetical or as unattainable as you might think that this sounds. James isn't saying it's not that someone is never at fault, but someone who doesn't generally stumble with their words. You see, it's not that they're perfect, because perfect is neither attainable nor the goal of our faith, friends. Ironically then, perfect here doesn't mean perfect. It means complete and made mature. In what God does when we persevere in suffering, God makes us mature and complete. And James is making the same point again. The measure of our maturity is seen by our lives. See those words with me on the screen behind me, James 1.26. If anyone thinks his religion, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Authentic discipleship keeps a tight rein on the tongue. Authentic disciples control their own emotions. They're able to keep their whole body in check, James says, verse 2. Otherwise, their religion is worthless and their hearts are deceived. But self-control isn't all that easy, is it? In fact, it's hard to control our mouths most of the time because the tongue itself is uncontrollable. Look there, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. James is highlighting a contrast here for us. It's an illustration of comparisons. James contrasts the tongue with horses and ships. Comparison is one of big to small. Horses and ships are big things, but they're controlled by a comparatively small thing. Small things have a big impact on big things, which initially is music to my ears, (laughs) until you realise the point that James is actually making here. For example, a racehorse can weigh up to 500 kilograms. But the horse itself is controlled by a bit and a bridle. That bit that goes into the horse's mouth, the bit that the horse bites down on, weighs 500 grams. The bit is one thousandth a size of the horse. Here's another example. A modern day cruise ship weighs up to a whopping 200,000 tonnes. But the ship's direction is controlled by a rudder, which is one tenth a size of the ship. Something so big is controlled by something so small, which still sounds pretty good for the diminutive until James says this in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The average Australian male weighs 87 kilograms. While the average Australian woman has never told anyone how much she weighs (laughs) and would never admit to being average anyway. But the tongue weighs around 100 grams. 
Now, I'll let you do the mathematics for yourself, but the point here is small things control big things. Our little words shape our big lives. Our words directly impact upon all of our relationships. Did you know that 40% of human communication between other humans, 40% of your conversation with others is about you? Which makes you your most favourite topic. You are your own go-to subject. You talk about you more than anyone else you know. We love to talk about ourselves. We love to give our opinions. We love to offer our thoughts. We tell people how we feel. Sometimes we don't even wait to be asked. We just give them to people anyway. As soon as there is a break in the conversation, the other person pauses just to take a breath. Boom, we're in there giving our perspective. We're advancing our preferences. We're telling our stories and providing our version of the events. We are such a well-loved subject matter of our own. We are a regular part of our own conversations. And if you want to check and see if you're talking too much about yourself, then all you need to do is to listen to yourself speak. Here's the clue. If most of your sentences start with I, me or my or mine, that might be obvious. With all that talk about ourselves, it's not surprising that we might occasionally boast every now and then. We talk ourselves up. We promote ourselves to others. We promote ourselves over others. We increase the sh our share of the market. We boast about ourselves and our achievements and our acquisitions. We like to name drop. We like to be seen by the right people in the right places. We want to be liked and we want to be admired and we want to be the envy of others, especially our friends. If you need any evidence at all of human boasting or any examples at all of shameless human self-promotion, then how about the 2.9 billion Facebook users in a planet of 8 billion people? Ironically, that's just under 40% of the world on Facebook now talking about themselves, updating their statuses, uploading their photos, so that others can see what you're doing and what it is that they're missing out on. We bore other people with our profiles. We bore other people with our photos and then we bore them with our conversations. We are so busy trying to be the most interesting person that we've lost interest in every other person. And if all we are now is a collection of individuals competing with one another for everyone else's attention, then surely you can see how destructive that's become. Maybe you've already felt just how destructive it is. James says it's out of control. And once it's ablaze, it can never be tamed again. The tongue is untamable. Look there, verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. A careless slip of the tongue. A miss 
spoken thought or thoughtless word, the words come out of your mouth and you can't take them back. James says it's like an arsonist in dry conditions after a long, hot summer. Our tongues can betray us and they can destroy others. Our words can be weapons of mass destruction. John Calvin said this about the tongue, a slender portion of the flesh contains in it the whole world of iniquity. So when we speak, we're playing with fire. And sometimes someone is bound to get burnt. Like a cigarette tossed out of the car window, all that damage started with such a small spark. I was in the Blue Mountains this week, which is still recovering from bushfires. The black summer bushfires in 2020 left 60% of the Greater Blue Mountains area affected by fire. No doubt you've also seen the news recently of the fire that destroyed Maui in only a matter of minutes. This once beautiful historic community was reduced to smouldering ruins and ashes within minutes. Our words can do that kind of damage to people. In fact, our words can even be hellish. When our words destroy and damage and devastate, we speak as hell's ambassadors. And once the fire rages like, rages like this, James says it's impossible for it to be brought back under control. Look there, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Given that our words can build up others, and equally also be so devastating and destructive, James asks us the question again, is your religion worthless? Has your heart been deceived? Are we kidding ourselves? Are we hypocrites? Are our lives and our lips not in sync with one another? Do we have faith but not any works? You remember that our words reveal who we are and our words also reveal whose we are, who we belong to. And so as I read these words to you now, think about what you've said about somebody else recently. And if you can't remember what it is that you said out loud about them, then you'll know already what it is that you think of them. Consider what comes out of your mouth, friends. Verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father... And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. To their faces we'll say one thing. Everything's fine between us, no problems here. But behind their backs and to everyone else, we say something else about them entirely different. I've done that. I've been on the end of that too. 
It is, it is devastating and it is destructive. And coming from other Christians, it really, really, really hurts. It's damaging. And it causes others to stumble. Woe to you, says Jesus. You hypocrites, says James. Now, you mightn't be calling down curses on other people, but we swear at just the mention of their names, don't we? We come to church and we sing our praises to God, but on the way home, we slander and we gossip about them to anyone in the car willing to listen. We worship God with our words and then we desecrate those who've been made in his likeness. My brothers and sisters... Among us, these things ought not be so. Figs. Fig trees grow figs, not olives. Grapevines produce grapes, not figs. Salt water and spring water are different things altogether. They do not come from the same tap. But all sorts of stuff has come out of your mouth, hasn't it? Do you know who I'm talking about? Can you picture them? Maybe you can even see them here this morning. That person that you had a run-in with. That person that you can't forgive. That person that you now avoid or ignore. That person that you talk about but don't talk to. That person who mistreated you somehow or once wronged you in some way. We tend to talk about them in a quieter voice, don't we? And we tend to talk about them away from everybody else. Oh, we'd like to believe that they were. It'd be easier if it was. But they are not our enemy. It'd be easier if we could demonise them and to humanise them. Our hearts, they deceive us into thinking this way. The enemy has used the things that they've done and he drives it deep within our own hearts in order to destroy us. But that person who did it, it's not your enemy. We have an enemy, but it's not them. I know. Really, I know how hard this is for us to hear. And I want you to know that I am preaching to me just as much as I am preaching now to you. It would be so much easier for us to continue living with the narrative that we've adopted about them. But wisdom is meekness, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom, friends, is shown by humility. Whenever we get hurt or offended by someone, we instinctively think less of that person. And so our pride and our self-protection causes us to disengage and disconnect and demonise and dehumanise. We cut off and we cut them out of our lives. Because they've hurt us and so that they can't hurt us again. But that is not the way of wisdom. 
when we're jealous, selfish, and loose with the truth with one another, things can rapidly descend into chaos. And friends, disorder is the opposite of God's creation. But wisdom that comes from above is wisdom that walks in humility. It doesn't think more highly of itself. It makes itself humble and low. Wisdom from God shows itself by its actions, says James. Faith without works is dead. James has already told us that anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. But peacemakers who continue to sow in peace do. And they will reap the harvest that is to come. Look there, verse 17. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Are you a peacemaker? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break our hearts. Wisdom that comes from above continues to walk in humility. It speaks peace in the face of hostility and gentleness in response to opposition, being open-minded and reasonable when others are emotional and irrational and have completely lost their minds, being full of mercy when confronted with unfounded accusations is not only the way of peace, but it was the way of the perfect man that you and I now follow. Jesus, friends, is at work in us during our trials, during difficulties, during relational conflicts, so that we might become mature and complete in him. What do your words reveal about you? What are your words doing to others? What are you doing with your words? Let's pray. Father in heaven, maybe it's just me, but I don't think that it is. Sorry, we're sorry for speaking one way about others that condemns, judges and destroys and yet with the next breath we praise and glorify you. Would you forgive us for our hypocrisy And would you forgive us because not only have we been people who've been hurt by others and their words, but we've also hurt others by our words.
Would you have mercy on us, Lord Jesus? Would you help us to be people who walk in wisdom, who grow in maturity and completeness in Christ, that in the face of hostility we would be peacemakers, in the face of harsh words and irrational behaviour that we would be gentle and reasonable. Would you help us to be like you, Lord Jesus, who did not retaliate, did not answer back, who didn't use sarcasm or humour, who didn't raise his voice in anger. Would you help us to be people who are not religious hypocrites, but whose religion, whose faith is demonstrated by our words and also by our actions. Help us this morning as we consider our words and the impact that they have on others. And would you help us to be people who now speak life to one another rather than death that we would build up rather than tear down, that in our culture that likes to speak down and to mock and to cut down, would you help us to be different from our culture and to speak truth and life and love? For we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.